welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Keeping with the USA Baseball theme, this week's ABCA podcast is with 15U National Team Manager and center head coach Drew Breezy. Coach Breezy led the 15U National Team to a World Cup championship. Team USA had a great tournament going 8-1 and and beating Cuba in back-to-back games to win the championship. Coach Breezy brings a unique perspective coaching the 15U team coming from the college side. He's worked with USA Baseball since 2013, so has a great understanding of the process of developing high school players into world champions. Coach Breezy has been the head coach at his alma mater, Center College, since 2016. He was also on Jan Weisberg's staff at Birmingham Southern, building them into a perennial Division III powerhouse. This is another great episode on player development and building championship players. Let's welcome Coach Breezy to the podcast. Coaching baseball, I think for all of us, it teaches you how to be able to put fires out, and I think it makes you really good at problem solving. You know, if you, if you're in the baseball industry for a long time, you're really good at problem solving. Oh, there's there's no doubt about it. Like yeah. you, you figure out anything from you know, massive food orders to, uh, you know, having irrigation breakage on your field, you know, whatever needs to get done, baseball coaches can figure it out. I spoke to, uh, I got my master's at JMU, but um, Janet Wigglesworth is a professor there, but she was at WIU when I was there. And so she had me zoom in with her COM 100 class. And so we were just talking about all of those things that, that you have to do to, to make it work. And, I think it's eye-opening for a 19-year-old kid to hear what somebody does to to make it through in the baseball industry. Oh yeah, man. There's there is there's no doubt. It's it's always fun at USA to see you know the the interns who are coming in at that age. You know they're 19, 20, 21 years old, and they think that they've landed it with USA Baseball, and all of a sudden, yeah. you know their big thing for the day is making sure that the Jersey Mike's order is is right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But I told them that I said, guys, you're you're not gonna. I think the fallacy now is like you're gonna you're gonna fall into your passion, and that's not that's not the case. Like you, you have to do a lot of that stuff early on to make it work. But it, it makes you better 
you know, it makes you better as a coach. It makes you better as a person when you've had to do some of the grunt work because I don't think you take anything for granted after that either. No, there's there's a true appreciation for it at that point when you know kind of everything that it takes to to you know move the needle on a daily basis, yeah. um, and you figure out how how to move it. Yep. Yeah, it makes you appreciate it even more for sure. Here, Drew Breezy, Center College, but uh, world champ now, uh, 15U manager for USA Baseball and uh, Center grad, but you're at Birmingham Southern for a little bit too. But Drew, thanks for jumping on with me. Yeah, Ryan, thanks for having me today. I'm, I'm excited for it. Congrats. So huge summer. USA Baseball is, is crushing it right now. It's a huge summer for USA Baseball. It sure has been. Uh, started out with the 12U in Taiwan, winning a gold medal and we were lucky enough with the 15U team uh, last week to follow up with another gold medal in uh, in Mexico, and now uh, the 18U team is in the middle of their uh, their pool play in the 18U World Cup down in down in Florida, and they're they're undefeated as well. So it's been it's been a good summer for USA. Is that the cool thing about being in Cary because you kind of get to hang out with everybody? It it's one of the cool things. I mean, the 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 number of cool things are almost innumerable. Um, but it is, it, it's a lot of fun to get to know the guys from the other staffs. You have some crossover if you're on a task force, maybe with one of them, uh, you know, we're, we're down there in Mexico over the last couple of weeks and getting messages for guys that work with the 18U team and, and the manager for the 12U team. And, and, um, yeah, just, just a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people have your back, uh, no matter what, what you're doing. What drew you to USA baseball? It was 2013, correct? It was your first year yeah. with USA baseball. Yeah, so one of my former players was actually involved with USA at the director level. So Brooks Webb, who is now the general manager for Tim Corbin's Vanderbilt baseball team, was the director for the 15U national team with USA um, in 2013. And just asked me one summer if I'd be interested in doing some scouting with them. And it was down in Jupiter at what used to be called the East Championships, which was a feeder program into the national teams. Uh, so that's, that's where I started. I started by scouting in, uh, in, in Florida, um, just trying to, to give my evaluation of guys and give recommendations to USA on, on guys that might be fits for, for the national team. You know, and, and does that help, probably helps being on the scouting side of that first, kind of know what it looks like and then be able to follow those guys and see kind of their progress as they work through the system? There's no doubt about it. I, I think the the national team concept is so different than anything else that we have in our in our game whether you're talking about you know playing at the high school level or or what a division three guy looks like versus a division one or a, a high draft versus a division one you can kind of get those concepts if you're around it uh, around the game enough what a what a national team player looks like at, at each level is it's it's really hard to identify so starting on the scouting side and having the ability over the course of several years to figure out what what that looked like, what are the skill sets uh, at each at each age group that are going to allow a player to eventually play for a national team, um, it, it was is a big bonus to be able to then turn over to uh, the coaching staff and, and and then know what 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 we're looking for from those guys. And you probably understand better than anybody now that maybe a 12U kid may not make the 15U team, a 15U kid may not make the 18U kid, and the amount of development that goes in those six years from a 12-year-old to an 18-year-old. 
Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And the 12-year-old the, the roster, we're aware each year of those kids that are age eligible for the for the 15U national team. So, uh, you know, on the 20-man team this year in Mexico, we had we had two uh, of, of the 18 who were on the on the 12U national team. And things change. Things change a lot. Um, you know, I worked with the 14-year-olds last year in uh, in 2021, kind of in, in anticipation of working with the 15-year-olds this year. And just the jump some of those guys made from age 14 to 15 was was outstanding. And I, I can point to one one young man in, in particular, uh, Coy James, who's from North Carolina and uh, was with the 15U national team last year at team trials as a 14-year-old. Um, you know, kind of was in the middle of the pack last year at trials, wasn't necessarily the most outstanding player. Uh, we, we were really glad that he was going to be age eligible to come back this year, but, you know, weren't weren't really sure what we were going to get out of him. And then he comes back this year and just blows up at trials, has a great, great trials, makes the team. We stick him in center field and in the leadoff spot, and he's the MVP of the World Cup, you know, 14 or 12 months after not really being sure what we were going to have from him. Yeah, it seemed like him and Ethan Holiday kind of carried the load for you guys a little bit offensively. Yeah, I, Ethan had a great tournament. Even his outs were loud. I mean, it was it was amazing how many barrels he had that that just found their way into gloves. Um, but it, I, I think I'd be hesitant to say it was just a two man show. Like they they were definitely in the middle of it. Uh, but there were there were other guys that that really produced along the way as well. I mean, Andrew Andrew Costello. Uh, was a DH catcher from from Pennsylvania, and and Andrew made the All World team, um, hit over 400, had two home runs in the tournament. Um, Brady Ebel, third baseman from California, and you know Brady didn't quite have the home run and RBI numbers, but his on base percentage was through the roof. He had double digit walks, and uh, I mean th those guys hitting at the top of the order really set everything uh, up for success for for the bottom of the order to come through. And you had had guys that were were just contributors all the way. Brady Marietta with the catching that he did and what he did offensively. It was it was really a team effort all the way through. The thing that stuck out in the highlights is how physical you guys were. You know, and and you look and you're like, man, though that those kids don't look like they're 15 years old. But that's the thing that stuck out was just how physical that team was. Yeah, it's funny, man. Each year, you, you you're not really sure what the what the profile of the team is going to be. You know, I've seen I've seen some 15 year old teams before that are um, maybe maybe smaller and they're a little quicker and they're maybe more defensive oriented and and they're going to play the short game. They're going to bunt. They're going to run. Uh, and then I've seen years where. Uh, you know, you 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 have the the big horses. You know, the big corner guys and the power arms. Um, and we were a little bit of a, of a mix of that this year, I would say. But um, yeah, there, there were definitely some times when I went to the mound for a visit and, and I was looking up at a, at a 6'2", 215-pound, you know, 15-year-old. So uh, I think it also helps just physically in, in terms of what the ask is over the course of the month. So just to give you a breakdown on that, we the kids came into Arizona on August 13th and we started team trials that, that evening. Um, the World Cup ended on September 4th in Mexico. And there weren't too many days over that, whatever that is, three and a half week time frame when the temperature was under 100 degrees. So physically, the ask of these young men to work out in the morning, play a game in the evening, 
and do it time and time again in some really uh, tough weather conditions uh, over the course of, of a month is, 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 is tough. So having the physical guys really helps out with that. With only 20 guys and you're playing, you were eight and one in the tournament with 20 guys. How many of those guys are dual guys for y'all? We ended up with, I, I want to say out of the 20, um, 13, 13 could step on the mound for us in some capacity. And uh, I think six of those were pitcher only. So I, I think we had seven, seven dual position uh, pitcher type players. And having that depth and flexibility was really a key to this team and, and part of the makeup that we chose intentionally with it. Like you were saying, 20, 20 man roster, you know, nine games over the course of nine days or 10 days is it, it, it can wear you out a little bit. So you try and, and pick and choose guys that are going to have some flexibility to move around and to do some different things. Um, you know, a great example is, is Ryan Harwood, who uh, closed out the gold medal game for us and pitched the night before against Cuba and pitched in a, in a big spot in, in the international tiebreaker for us against Panama. Uh, Ryan's a first baseman by trade, plays some outfield, big left-handed hitter, has some power. Um, and we made the conscious decision about halfway through the tournament that we were going to limit his time at first base so that he would be fresh at the end of games. And, um, you know, we were lucky enough to have some depth to, to put some other first basemen in there and, uh, and, and make him highly effective or have given the opportunity to be highly effective at the end of games. So that, that flexibility was key for this club. After you beat Cuba, how, how soon till you knew you were going to play them again? Immediately. Uh, we, we knew if we won that night on, uh, on Saturday night against Cuba, we would have one loss, they would have one loss, um, and that would set us up to have a rematch in the gold medal game. So we, we knew immediately that we were, we were going to play them for the gold medal 5 p.m. Sunday evening and that we would be the home team by virtue of having the head-to-head the -head win against them. Did you say much to the guys after you beat them the first time? Because I know the second day was a little bit tighter, but did you say much to those guys trying to get them ready to go? It's hard to beat somebody twice in two days, but did you say much to them? We, we honestly didn't talk about the opponents very much at all during the course of the tournament. We, we gave some scouting reports and we were able to pull some video um, on the opponent's starting pitchers that we were able to distribute throughout the course of the day leading up to a game. But it, as far as like talking about, you know, game plan against Cuba and, and how we might have handled that in the gold medal game, it was it was much more along the lines of this game has been what we've prepared for over the course of a month, the challenge of playing in a hostile environment, the challenge of playing with a gold medal on the line. Um, and, and those are those are more of the things that we talked about rather than, um, you know, how how we were going to necessarily go out and game plan to beat Cuba. We were the most talented team there. I, I kind of felt that from the very beginning. And if we went out and played our game through strikes, took care of the baseball, put together quality at bats, um, there wasn't wasn't much chance for anybody to to beat us. We had to we had to find a way to beat ourselves. You know, rounding out your staff, just a really good staff on the fifteen U team. Just talk about your staff a little bit. Yeah, so our, our pitching coach Rob Shabansky uh, was is uh, head coach at Gateway Community College out in Arizona. Um, Chubbs and I have been working together for a number of years. When I was with the national team in 2016 as an assistant coach. Um, Chubbs was the, the pitching coach on that team. So Mike Strickland from Marist School was the manager. 
Jason Maxwell from Ensworth was was an assistant coach, and and Chubbs and I were on that staff. We won we won the bronze medal in Japan that year, and it's always been a little bit of a, a bitter taste, I guess I would say, for for six years kind of sitting there. And so for for Chubbs and I to have a, a little bit of a redemption tour to come back and and um, and win the gold medal was really special. And uh, I value his friendship. He's a, he's a tremendous coach. Um, I really asked two things of him this summer. One was, you know, just take care of the pitchers, call the pitches, put us in position to win. And I think he's probably one of the best game planners, scattering report writers that I've ever known. And so he he took care of a lot of that for us and 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 shouldered that burden. But can't say enough about him and the work he did and how appreciated appreciative I am of him for a personal and professional relationship. Um, Steve Butler. I've known since 2014, I think. We, we've worked scouting task force together with USA. Uh, we have worked NTDP together. We've worked 15U trials together. And when the opportunity came to have him on staff, um, the first word that came to mind was just trust. We've worked together for so long. Uh, I, I trust him to make great decisions with the team and um, you know, kind of put us in position to be successful. So. Uh, I knew I wanted to stay in the dugout and and be able to work offense and defense uh, all the time. So when when it was like, well, who's going to coach third? That idea of trust just went straight to to Butler. So he's a high school guy from uh, Egan High School up in Minnesota. Does a great job with them, and and was blessed to have him with our staff this year. And then Jeff Sherman is uh, from Marcus Flower Mound down in in the Dallas area in Texas. And he was slated to be on staff the last couple of years with Jared Halpert as the manager from Harvard Westlake. And uh, I was lucky enough to be working scouting task force and trials with Jeff uh, in preparation for the 2020 and 2021 uh, 15 U national team, neither of which took off because of COVID. Uh, and really got to know him and trust him, especially with his offensive approach, his ability to handle hitters, um, you know, to be able to talk to them about, you know, game planning for a certain pitcher, what to look for in this situation, how to handle adversity. Um, he, he's tremendous in that aspect. And, and I knew I kind of wanted to have that uh, so-called offensive coordinator there to, to help us out this year. And he did, he did an awesome job. Hey, are you managing from the dugout at center also? I am. So it's something that over the last couple of years, I've really gotten comfortable with. Uh, especially in the World Cup environment or an environment where, like you, you, we were talking about earlier, with the number of dual players that you have and, and pieces that you have to move, um, I try to stay two and three, you know, moves ahead of that. Not always am I successful with it, but I, I think being in the dugout helps me a lot more with that. And then being able to talk to guys on deck and, you know, I'll ask them, you know, given this certain situation, do you, do you like sack bunt here? Do you like hit and run? What do you, what do you, do you want to go drag um, to kind of see where their head is and, and to be able to evaluate what we want to do offensively moving into the next situation. How much difference is international play for those 15 year olds than what they're used to playing? I think it's, I think it's hugely different. Uh, it's, you know, I, I don't mean to bag on travel baseball. It is the lifeblood of a lot of what we do. But I think we all know that those tournaments in the course of the weekend can be very stagnant. They can be very static. Um, they can lose a little bit of edge, even when you get to the the ring games or, or the medal games on, on Saturdays and Sundays. 
um, the environment playing internationally is so different than anything they experience where, you know, we, we, we prepare them for the scenario where the crowd is going to be against them, actively cheering for the other team. And it doesn't matter who it is. They may be actively cheering for South Africa. They may be actively cheering for Cuba in the gold medal game, but the crowd is generally going to turn against them. And it's kind of weird to see the gold medal game where, I think the like the Czech team and the the France the, the French team. It, it seemed like everybody was cheering for Cuba in the in the stands, except for like our people, our parents, and and my wife and kids who were there. Um, so we, we prepare them for that. We prepare them for umpires who are going to shrink the zone, and it happened a lot. You know, it, it happened a lot where our stuff I think was probably a little bit tough on the umpires, and, and the zone shrunk up. Um, you know, the chatter that you hear from the other dugout, the competitive nature of the international teams, um, it's, it's nothing like they see domestically. So it, it is quite a bit different. And I think, you know, our 15 year olds, our young people walk away from it saying, man, that that is a that is a style of baseball I could get used to playing every week. Yeah, what are the keys to, to getting the best players in the country together, but then getting them to play as a team? Well, I, I'll take that in, in two separate uh, questions, if that's all right. In, in terms of getting them together, man, it takes it takes an absolute village. Um, so I, I can't point enough to the, the administration with USA Baseball, everybody from the, the director level with Ashley Bratcher and Will Schwar, um, you know, to to the task force guys that are working in, in Arizona uh, and in, in North Carolina to identify the players um, all the way down to the intern level, people who are just bought into this idea of we need to, you know, kind of complete this mission, find the best players, get them together in the same spot, feed them, house them, get them on the same path. Um, so, you know, that that takes an absolute village and USA does an outstanding job of putting people in position to, to help with that. Um, as far as getting them on the same page for me, it was something I've been thinking about over the course of the last year a lot. And it, and, and it really comes together in that first meeting when you have the 20 of them together after they've gone from 72 players down to 34 players. And now you have 20 guys sitting in a room who are, are like, well, this is it. These are the people that are going to go and play for the gold medal. So I chose my words very carefully in that meeting. And, and I remember at trials last year when I, I was a trials coach, I was just, I was there to provide evaluation and support, but writing down the phrase, create the vision, create the vision in that first meeting. And that's what I wanted to sell. So um, the, the, the vision was really simple because I, I didn't want to overcomplicate it. And it was something that we could remember every day that we were, we were down there. And it, it was this idea of complete the mission or, or one mission. And everything that we did from the, the way that we were in a classroom setting to the way that we listened and performed in a training setting to the food we ate to the way we slept needed to support this mission of winning a gold medal. And that's that's what I threw out there at him that we were going to have an intense three week episode of everything that we did performance wise affecting this ability to go and complete this one mission. So that's how we tried to get them on the same page. I, I think that they really bought in and, and wanted to, to follow through with it. And even in times of adversity, like when we lost to Japan, we knew that that mission was still 
there for us to complete. And, um, and, and we got right back on track with it. Was there much difference between this year's team and the 2016 team? It's hard. It's, it's hard for me to look at it. Just being the manager this year, having much more experience with it this year. It's hard for me almost to remember what it was like with that, with that club, uh, almost from an assistant coaching standpoint. Um, definitely some different personalities, both really highly skilled in terms of the, the, the players that were there. When you're talking about guys like Anthony Volpe, you know, first first round draft pick, who was who was our shortstop with that team. You know, some some real similarities uh, with them, um, but but really hard for me to evaluate from. You know, I, I think I just such an insider viewpoint of this one from you know, creating it with, with my own hands and my own mind, basically. The other one, I was I was there in more of a, a support role, I guess I would say. That's probably the biggest difference from going being an assistant to head coach, isn't it? You just, you, you take so much more of the environment and everything that's going on because you have to worry about all things that are going on. Yeah, it's, it's um, it, it was definitely a different role. And I can't thank guys like Mike Strickland and Jason Maxwell and Chan Brown enough for their guidance and and support J, uh, Jared Halpert um, for you know, kind of saying, hey, man, here's some things you need to think about. And it could be everything, anything from uh, putting together a scouting task force to trials coaches to handling personalities to selling that vision uh, that really helped me to to pave the way and say, OK, this is this is how we're going to do this. So, yeah, it's it's quite a bit different. And uh, you know, USA does a great job of allowing the, the coaching staff to, to have a great deal of input. You know, what do we want to do in this certain situation? How do we want to handle uh, trials when we're not in North Carolina with trials being in Phoenix? What do you want the schedule to look like? Where do you want to play? When do you want to have games? How many exhibitions do you want to play? I mean, all that stuff that goes into it that uh, honestly, like at the very beginning when they made the ask, I didn't anticipate that. Um, but kind of like we talked about earlier with baseball coaches, man, we're, we're ready to problem solve and get to the bottom of stuff. So I was really grateful that that they allowed me to have that much that much input through the whole process. You talked about nutrition. Did you have to change much with a 15 year old? I mean, you're dealing with a 15 year old kid, so maybe don't always eat the best. Did you have to change much for those guys from a nutrition standpoint? Well, I think the number one thing is is just hydration, right? When you're in Arizona and, and Mexico for a month in August, you know, you, you have to basically force hydration on them. And and they they took to that really well. Like I don't I don't know that we had a, a ton of uh cramping or, or hydration issues along the way. And then um you try and meet them halfway. You you know that they want they want their their Chick-fil-A, they you know, they want their Uber Eats. Um, and then you also try to try to make sure that we are we are doing what's good for us in, in the long run and, and things that are going to fuel us. And then you have other considerations like, you know, we are we're in Mexico. The, the World um, Baseball Softball Confederation handles everything from the games to the umpires to the lodging to transportation to meals from the time you set foot in the tournament. So they, they handled all of our meals, breakfast, lunch and dinner were set up in a kind of cafeteria style ballroom at the hotel in Mexico. And so it's a whole lot of tortillas and rice and beans and, and chicken for, for a couple of weeks on end. And you make the best of it and you encourage them, you know, the, the players to make the best of it, too. Said Rob, did Rob call every pitch? 
he called every pitch. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Probably have to at that point, right? Just limited prep time for the opponents, knowing what your guys' strengths are, probably have to do it that way, don't you? It, it, for me, it, it goes back to that whole idea of trust. Like I really, really trusted him to, you know, know our pitchers, know what their strengths were. And, you know, like the, the last two outs of the world of the uh, gold medal game, you know, we bring in hardwood to relieve and, you know, he's sitting 87 to 90 and uh, bases are loaded. We're up by one. Uh, the strike zone got really, really small. And, you know, he called eight fastballs in a row for two strikeouts. And, it took a little bit of guts to to just say, "Hey, man, here here comes number one, come and get it." But that's that's why that's why I trusted him with those those pitch calls because he he knows exactly what to do in those situations. Does starting on the high school side help? I mean, you you you've dealt with fifteen year old kids because you started on the high school side. Does it help? I think so. Honestly, when this first when the conversation first came up about you know, being the manager, I was, I was like, are you sure? Like, I'm a, I'm a college guy. I've been a college guy basically for like 18 years. I, I coach, you know, 18 to 22 year olds. And I have a ton of experience with the 15 U national team, but I, I don't necessarily coach those guys every day. And um, what really helped was talking to the high school guys that are some of the best coaches in the country. I mean, you take professional college, high school, you know, the, the Jason Maxwell's of the world who I, I called him like, hey, man, they're, you know, this this could happen. What do you think? And am, am, am I ready to do this? And he was like, man, you're you are the perfect guy for this. And, you know, there's no doubt. He's like, I, I deal with these kids every day. You would be you would be just fine with them. So talking to a, a lot of the high school guys that I really know and trust um, helped to build up my confidence in, in taking on this age group. Well, and coaching elite in any age group probably makes things a little bit easier, doesn't it? Cause they do, they do things different than, than the other kids. They do. And, um, with that comes a whole new way of communicating with them and talking to them about expectations. And, um, you know, I, I think there's a fine edge of it. They, they can do so much and they're so big and they're so talented that naturally you almost think of them as more of college type yeah. players. Um, and then, and then you remember, you see something, that uh, or you hear hear them talking about something in the in the cafeteria where you're like, oh yeah, no, they're they're 15, and and so you handle their their egos and you handle them uh, in terms of their personalities, you know, like they're young, like they're they they're the young men that they are, um, and so there is that that delicate balance for sure. I mean, is that a concern going into international play where maybe they might fail for the first time? You got to lead a little elite, and with any age group, they may fail for the first time. Is that a concern with for some kids, or does that get weeded out in the selection process where you know, okay, kid's fairly mentally tough. He might get handed to him. He's going to be okay. I, I, you hit the nail right on the head right there. It, that's the that's the perfect um, scenario where. We're in team trials, um, and you know maybe the umpire's zone shrunk up a little bit. Maybe he didn't get that that strike that he was really counting on. Um, you know, as a hitter, maybe he he struck out at a pitch looking that was in the channel, and it was two balls off. How how is he going to handle that? What's that going to look like in uh, in his next at bat? So we we really try to evaluate it there and and see how that may play on the international stage. And the great part about team trials is that you have this year we had 12 coaches there and you're able to evaluate everything from the physical skill set 
to what they're like in the dugout after they handle that adversity or they they see that 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 bit of adversity and you're getting feedback from those guys who are talking to them in the dugout and getting that initial reaction um yeah and so part of making the decision on who is going to go forward and play on the national team is who has this skill set but also who who can handle the failure that's going to happen at the at the international level what'd you learn from jan weisberg Man, <laughs> Jano's a he he is a close friend. Uh he's a he's a mentor. He was my neighbor for like eight years. Our wives are really good friends. Our sons are the same age. He's the godfather to my daughter. I'm the godfather to to his son, his youngest. Um, he's a very, very special person in my life. Um, I think I think the things that I learned from Jan were number one, uh, how to work. You know, I, I, I had a vision for what it meant to, to be as a to, to what it would look like to work as a coach. And, um, and he, he's really nonstop with his work ethic. It is it is 24, 7, 365. What are we doing to get better? And I really bought into that. And um, yeah, and, and it helped to push me forward, I think, into a whole new place in my career. And then how to handle competitiveness. I'm a very competitive person by nature. Jan is a very competitive person by nature. I think even in my mid twenties, I was I was probably, um, you know, somebody who would let his emotions get the best of him, and you know, let that competitive fire burn a little bit too, too brightly at times. And I think he really helped me to understand how to channel that into coaching, channel that into your players, channel that into teaching, uh, channel that into long-term vision and progress. Um, yeah, so those those are the two things I would really point to with him in terms of work ethic and and, and competitiveness that, that I take away and think about all the time. But very special man, a, a great friend. We, we still talk every week. Did you run into, was he at Kentucky when you were getting your master's at Kentucky? Did you run into him there at all? I never ran into him at, at UK. I was there. Uh, we were there at the same time. Uh, but our first interaction was just a cold call when he took the head coaching job at Transylvania. And I was looking to get in the college uh, realm. I just called him and said, hey, man, I know you coach catchers at UK. I coach catchers. If you need somebody that can handle that for your new staff, you know, come on in. And he invited me to come in for a 30-minute meeting. I think we met for like an hour and a half. And, uh, you know, here we are whatever, 17 years later, and, and we're, we're great friends. What's it mean to be back at center? Being back at center has been, been a ton of fun. Um, it's, it's a unique opportunity uh, for me and my family to, to, to grow up in, in the place where my wife and I met and, and we grew up. So uh, going into year seven here, um, you know, I, I, I've been given the, the great opportunity to uh, build this program and to take on the the, the task of, uh, uh, of having a brand new six million dollar baseball facility. Uh, so we are we are really well supported here. Uh, the administration wants and expects success from us, uh, and that's the type the type of environment I want to be in. So um, Danville and Boyle County are a great place to call home. I can't imagine raising my my young daughters anywhere else right now. Um, so it's, it's been a very special place for us to come back and, and kind of the way that I look at it is we, my wife and I, um, you know, had a, a great start to our baseball career, um, at, at Birmingham Southern. And then, and then the challenge of coming back to center is the, the next big one in our, in our career. So we're, we're tackling that one head on. 
How are you balancing your USA duties then with summer recruiting? It's tough, man. Yeah. I'll be really honest with you. I, 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 I think about it every time I see you guys over in Cary. I'm like, this isn't their full-time gig. They got other responsibilities also. Yeah, and and I can't I can't say enough about my my uh, our assistants here, Ryan Gaines, who's our pitching coach, and Taylor Valentine, who's our uh, assistant coach, and the work that they did this summer to support not only our our baseball program at center, but to support USA baseball. They both knew how important this was for me to you know be able to go to Arizona for a week and then go spend ten days in North Carolina and then go down to Hoover for a couple of days and then go you know go to trials and and the World Cup for almost a month. So they they handled almost all of our recruiting efforts this summer, um, and, and again, both because they want Center to be successful, but also because they they wanted us to go win a gold medal. Uh, so I can't say enough about that. In a normal year, it's a lot easier because I'm usually gone for you know a week here, five days here to go and be on a scouting task force, and and we can balance that out with our assistants. Uh, but this year was definitely a tall order for everything. I mean, I missed birthdays, I missed two vacations. I missed recruiting. I missed everything this summer for USA baseball and I wouldn't trade it for the world, but we knew this one was going to be, was going to be a tall order. I love Taylor. He and I go back to Midwest, uh, winter camp days back yeah. in the old days. So I love Taylor. He's a grinder. He gets after it. He does, man. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, there is probably nobody outside of Kerry who was more fired up for that gold medal than he was. I, I mean, it was text message every day, go get them text message after the game. How'd you feel about it? How did things go? Um, he is he is center baseball through and through, and he is USA baseball through and through. Is this a normal? You, you're starting fall ball later. Is that normal for you guys, or is it because of what you did this summer? It's twofold. One one is definitely because of the summer. So I just I got back to the states on September sixth and wanted to have about three weeks before we jumped into fall ball. So we're going to start on October first. But two, having our new uh, all turf facility allows us to push back a little bit later so our guys can kind of have some open batting practice times, some open field times during September. And then we don't really have to worry about any weather or anything while we go through our month of fall ball in October. So if if it goes well, I could I could totally see doing this in the future, regardless of the USA schedule. So the new facility is definitely a big piece of it as well. Did we get the COVID schedule back for you guys? Because I know guys kind of liked the the flexibility of the the COVID fall schedule. Did you guys get that back? I forgot to. No, look. so we're we're back to the sixteen date, um, you know, regular NCA um, schedule for for fall ball. Uh, you know, there are some there are some policies in the works. You know, people are talking about changing it to number of days throughout the course of the year, but we're back to a standard calendar for this year. Smaller roster size, is that by design for you guys? I think you had, what, 31 or 32 on your roster last year. Is that by design? Not necessarily. Um, it was just kind of a byproduct of where we were. Uh, this year, we we welcomed 15 fresh faces to campus. So we'll, we'll be back at that 40 range going into going into the spring. Um, yeah, so it, it was it was more just kind of a byproduct of where we were, but um, we'll feel a lot more comfortable going into this year with a slightly bigger roster. And with, you know, just as an aside, Center has such a massive uh, study abroad program that we are, we'll miss six of our players who are going to study abroad in France for the entire fall semester. So when you have 40 guys on the roster, that that definitely helps to balance out the, the folks who are studying abroad. You, long time catching guy. I mean, are you 
in with some of the new stuff out? Is it still traditional, hybrid? How are you coaching your catchers? Yeah, I would say it's hybrid. It, it's more of like, I'm going to introduce some things to you in terms of stance and glove patterning that would you know probably be called newer school. And then I'm going to see how you work with it and then talk to you about what you're most comfortable with and then and then see where we go from there. I think I think the adjustability has to be there, even working with the young catchers that we had in the World Cup. Um, they're more they're more new style uh, where it's a lot of one knee down, you know, glove to the ground pattern outside the zone to inside the zone. And I think when you are catching guys that are, quote unquote, easier to catch, you know, they're 76, 78, that glove patterning and stance can work for you. Uh, we saw a couple of these guys when it was 88 to 90 and the stuff is a little sharper, that long, that long movement with the glove got, got big and they got beat to the spot. So we had, we had to make some shifts and changes like in the middle of trials to, to change some things with these guys and they took to it really well. So, you know, they were able to, to, I guess, work into that, that hybrid world pretty well. So I'm going to see what you do, see what you like and, and, and try to work with you on, on what works best and feels best. Did you work more high velocity machine with those guys to help them get ready for the higher velocity, the arms they were going to see? We didn't do a ton. Honestly, when when you get into the trial setting, I, I would love to say that there's a lot of time for like player development and, you know, NDD and that type of stuff. And man, it's really like you're trying to steal 20 minutes here or 20 minutes there for some NDD. And so the, the time is very limited to introduce <laughs> new ideas and really like see them through the long run. So it's more a matter of evaluation of what's going on in bullpens or what's going on in game. And then, and then being able to work simple, simple glove pattern changes from, from there, or, you know, for a hitter to work a, a, a an adjustment or an approach change from at bat to at bat. Um, it, it, it happens really quickly. A, a two and a half hour workout in the morning goes like that. And all of a sudden you're playing a game in the afternoon. So the, the player development time, at least with the national team is, is really limited. For a catcher that is struggling to, to handle the speed, were you just getting their clo glove closer to the strike zone on presentation? Yes. Yeah, that was the number one thing with, with, with you know, Andrew Costello is a, is a great young catcher. And I think, I think he's probably one of the top five players in his class. Um, but he was struggling a little bit with, with the, you know, maybe the velocity, maybe the spin, maybe the timing of it all. I'm not exactly sure, but we just took, took the pattern out from dropping all the way down to the ground um, to really just kind of settle in a nice relaxed hand uh, out by, by his knee whatever stance he was in and working the, the pattern more from the bottom of the zone than from than from the ground. Have you felt like the hitters have finally caught back up to the pitchers a little bit offensively? In the college world or just yeah. in general? Yep, college world. Yeah, it, it seems to be. I mean, I guess you would look at some of the numbers and say, you know, the the, the home runs are, are, are back, you know, compared to what they were in the first year, second year, maybe a BB core. Um, you know, are the balls changing? Are the hitters catching up? Um, you know, where, where are these things in, in terms of the evolution and the arms race that is offense versus defense in the college baseball world? Um, but yeah, it, it seems like it seems like the offense is back compared to maybe what it was you know, 10 years ago or so. When you finally get going here in October, what are going to be the first things that you kind of implement defensively with your guys? 
So we spend we spend our fall really in two realms. One is one is the fundamentals realm, and the second is the competition realm. Uh, so we will, with being limited to sixteen dates, um, we will spend a lot of time working the NDD, working the player development side of things, uh, so that that we do have our basic set of fundamental skills down. Our players know what the expectations are for them. And then, and then we're able to hopefully improve on those throughout the course of the fall. And then the second realm is competition. So we'll spend a lot of time, you know, NDD, uh, Team D, and then we jump right into competition. So uh, our first day of fall, we'll play an inter-squad scrimmage and we'll, we'll jump into live pitcher versus hitter. And we'll have those every Saturday and Sunday throughout, throughout the course of our entire fall. With those guys that go abroad, how long does it take them to get kind of back acclimated when they get back? It's it's different for each guy. The beautiful part is they, they come back right after Thanksgiving. So, you know, if you're talking about arriving back in the States the last week of November, you've got a month until Christmas and then and then nearly another month until team practice starts in earnest. Um, so, you know, it's six to eight weeks of build up time. And if you do it right, you can help them kind of figure out that eight week lead up process for pitchers. No problem. You know, for hitters, the biggest thing that they miss is, you know, those 40 at bats, 35 to 40 at bats in the fall. And so you just try to catch them up as much as possible over the course of their holiday time by, you know, hey, is there a way you can get on a velocity machine? Are there any live at bats you can get versus hitters at home uh, or pitchers at home? And try to try to help them close that gap a, a little bit. But eight weeks is generally enough lead up time where if they're if they're ready to jump right into it, we can we can have them ready for team practice at the end of January. Coaching division three a little more conducive to to family life. Um, than than high school or division one yeah. or, or USA. Yeah, all three. Well, it's it's really the only level that I've known in depth. I did high school for one year. And um, kind of at the end of that year, I knew I knew that I was going to be more well suited for the college level. And then I've been coaching Division three uh, college since 2005, 2006. So that's that's really all I've known. I have a lot of friends that, that have worked at high level you know, high schools, JUCOs, Division one. And it seems like our summers are a little slower than theirs. It seems like our breaks may, you know, maybe. Um, a little bit <clears throat> slower pace than theirs at times. So for me, it fits well. You know, I, I have a son who's playing college baseball right now and, and you know, would love the opportunity to see him play at some point or at least follow along with him. I have two daughters who are involved with extracurricular activities and, and um, you know, I do everything I can to, to see them do their gymnastics and their soccer and 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 swim and do all the things that they do. So Division Three is definitely a good a good family atmosphere for for the breezy family at least. Well, and Jan was in the meat grinder too. Like I mean, he was in the SEC with the no no rules SEC where yeah. no hours limitations, nothing. So like Jan Jan was in that for a while. He told me that the last summer at UK, I think he, I think he told me he was on the road for 82 of the 90 days in the summer. And uh, so, you know, for him, I think it took him a little while to get used to the division three uh, cycle and the, and the way things worked a little bit. And, and maybe that's one of the reasons we were good for each other is because I, I kind of knew what that looked like and, and he pushed me to do a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he, he did that for a long, long time at, at UK and, and, and did that grind. Do you have a fail forward moment? Do you have something you thought was going to sidetrack you, but looking back now was one of the best things that happened to you? 
Oh, that's a good question, man. Um, you know, I think that there, when I was at Birmingham Southern, there were a couple times when I had interviewed for jobs. Um, you know, I was Jan's assistant for 10 years. We built a program that was a top 10 program, ranked number one in the country on the doorstep of going to the College World Series, all started from scratch with no players. And so, you know, there were some probably times in my seventh year, eighth year when I was like, okay, I'm ready to be a head coach. And I had a job interview and, you know, I traveled to a place or two and actually sat down with ADs and went through the whole process and met college presidents and, and didn't end up getting those jobs. And I look back now and I'm like, wow, like my, my life could have been a lot different if I had ended up at place A or place B. And, uh, you know, looking back on it, I'm, I'm probably thankful that I didn't and, and glad that I had the opportunity to be with him for a couple more years. And I think it, it um, made the opportunity to come to center that much more clear cut, that I was ready to take it on, ready for the challenge of, of, of taking over a program that needed a little bit of work. Um, and it has set me up for, for a successful career here at Center. Do you have any evening or morning routines that you like? Um, my morning routine is pretty simple. I, I, I take my kids to school every day and I try to do it no matter what happens. So, you know, there are times when we get back off the road from Jackson, Mississippi or, or Conway, Arkansas, and we're rolling back in at, at two or three o'clock in the morning. I always try and be there to take my kids to school the next day. And it's something that for me, uh, even those 10 minutes of, of just dropping them off, um, you know, kind of gets my day started, gets me reconnected with them, uh, helps me to understand the importance of, of being a dad. Um, and yeah, kind of starts my day off. So that's that's something I actually look forward to every day. I'm getting to take uh, my 17 year old daughter to high school now. She can't drive yet. And this is the first time I've done it because when we were in Macomb, my wife taught in the same school. So she drove them last year. My wife's schedule lined up with my daughter, so they got to ride together. So I'm doing it this year. It's been great. She's not. She's trapped with me now for for 15 minutes, which is great for me. I know she doesn't probably enjoy it that much, but it's it's great for me that my daughter gets trapped with me for 15 minutes in the morning. It's funny, man. My my wife has said it all along with my son, who's 19 now. But um, the time in the car it seems to be some of the time when teenagers are more willing to open up and maybe it's because they don't have that direct eye to eye contact or you can ask them to put their phone away for a few minutes but they're they're willing to talk about more stuff and i'll be honest with you most of the time in the morning i'm i'm pretty quiet and and i'm just trying to check in with my daughters on what they have during the course of the day you have a test today you have gymnastics this afternoon um and but it's more just the idea of like being being present with them um that that really <clears throat> makes makes it makes it good for me so special times Where's Jack going to school? He goes to Trinity University down in Texas. So he plays for Coach Scannell down there. In Saw him at the World you know. Series last year. Yeah, man. I gave him a hard time. I was like, hey, dude, I've been in college baseball for like 20 years. I've been to College World Series. You've been in it for nine months, and you're going you're going to College World Series. Boys, there ever thought that he'd come play for you? I think early on, we, we knew it wasn't going to be a fit. Um, and he, he moved here when he was in eighth grade, uh, had a great high school career here in, in, in Boyle County, um, but knew that that he wanted to go south. He wanted a little bit warmer. He knew that he wanted a place where he can make his own name and not be Coach Breezy's son. And uh, so he had to go 17 hours away to, to kind of get that. But he found it, and Trinity's a, a great home for him. What's the best advice you've ever gotten? Oh, um, man, you know, I, I tend to 
I, I tend to think about the people that I've been around in my career and, and something that, that always sticks out to me is the, the brief time that I had with uh, General Charles Krulak, who was the president at Birmingham Southern when I was there. He's the former commandant of the Marine Corps. He's a four-star general and he's a Vietnam infantry veteran. Uh, comes from a military family. Uh, he's about you know five foot seven and 160 pounds and you wouldn't want to mess with him any day of your life. He's like 78 years old. Um, but, but a great, great leader, a, a leader of people. And, um, I, I remember really early on when, when he was with us at Southern, he, he, he told me and he told Jan, like, if you're going to be successful, you have to surround yourself with great people. And for me, I think my personality is I'll, I'll do it myself. I, I can, I can handle this. I, I'm ready for it. I'm strong enough. I have the skill set. Uh, I, I'm, I'm smart enough to figure this all out. And in becoming a head coach, um, you know, handling the the things that we do here at center, uh, working with USA Baseball, the ability to lean on other people, the ability to ask um, questions of them, to value their input, uh, to have them support the mission of whatever it is that needs to be accomplished. Uh, that's that's been something that's been really important for me to learn, and I think about that all the time. So whether I'm working with our assistants here with Ryan and with Taylor, or we're, we're talking about our um, trials coaching staff and, and how we value their input with USA, surrounding yourself with, with good people in order to accomplish a task is, is a really important thing in life. Learning to delegate's a huge skill. And I, it took me a long, I still have a hard time with that because I, yeah. same thing, I'm, I'm used to doing stuff by myself. So was, that was a hard thing for me to develop was being able to develop, delegate, but also trust giving people our responsibilities also it's hard isn't it man because yeah. like you said from the very beginning we we're talking about you know we're problem solvers we can do this we can do that um and so we, we we figure out ways to do that stuff but you know i guess the older i've gotten the more i see like you, you know jan jan trusted me to coach third base when i hadn't really done it before and he had done it for all those years at uk and and wanted to give me that opportunity delegate that task to me to work with our hitters and, and to go and do that. So when the time came for me to do that, it, it became a lot easier because I put myself in his shoes. Well, I wonder what he was thinking when he let me do that. I was 20 yeah. something. I didn't know anything about what was going on, but you see that other people do that. And it, I think it kind of helps you to, to plug along and to, to have that faith yourself. That's a service piece because you want them to grow as a coach also. So sometimes you've got to step back and be like, okay, I, I've got to allow them to get on their path and develop skills too, because you want them to be successful going forward too. Yeah. Just that the, the knowledge of what, what did things like that do for me? You know, how, how did that make me feel? How did that help me to develop my own skill set to see the game from a different vantage point? Um, we, we have to do that with our young coaches. That's, that's part of our responsibility, I think, as head coaches. So, you know, it's easy to have Taylor coach third now. It's easy to have, have Gaines call pitches for us. And, and really that's freed me up to be a better game manager. And quite honestly, like circling back to USA, it, that was one of the things that I felt like I actually did well this summer was just manage the games with, with everything that was going into it and all the moving pieces that we had. I was able to manage the games the way that I wanted to, um, but it was because of that trust I had in other people and, and their ability to, to see their jobs through. Have you ever gotten bad advice? 
ever gotten bad advice? Uh, good question, man. Um, I, I'm sure I've gotten advice that, you know, looking back at it, I probably veered off the path from it and decided to, to go on my own. But I think that's that's also part of life. We're the sum of our experiences, right? We, we are the, the people that we are because of what we've been through in the past. Um, and so whether those are learning opportunities, um, you know, some might call them failures, or, or their positive feedback experiences. Um, hopefully, hopefully you're learning something from from all of it. You have a favorite book? Um, I, I, I go through a lot. Like I, I, I guess I wouldn't say I'm like an avid reader, but I bounce around from from. Book I am to all book. over the map but, with what I read. I'm all over. Yeah. The map. Uh, one that I revisit a lot is The Champion's Mind by Jim Affernow. Love it. That was a team book of us for one one year. It was great. I love that book. Yeah, and I think there's so many parallels between just coaching in general, and then you know he kind of uses Olympic sports as um, you know as an example for a lot of what he's talking about, which easily translates into the USA baseball stuff. Or that was one that I read in 2016, and then I revisited again this this spring before I, I took off with with USA again this summer. So that's one that jumps out to the front of front of my mind right now. But I probably got two or three that I'm. I, you know, I'm jumping around from chapter to chapter in these different books. That's one of my favorite things about the podcast is I get a chance to ask people stuff. So I'll pick up stuff. I'm I'm reading the Lion Tracker's Guide to Life right now because a guest recommended it like six months. So I'll put it in like when somebody recommends a book that I haven't read, I'll write it down and then I'll put it in my library checkout. And that one finally came around. It's a really small read. I just got into it, but it's it's good. Really that's I, I think that's one of the valuable things about relationships in this business is you can learn so much from them. you know anything from um, X's and O's and strategy down to you know really what I would qualify as developing the mental side of your person and your game and things like a reading list. So you know Shabansky and I were in a hotel for the last month and we got to talking about books and he was like, Hey, do you know this, the Trevor Moat? And I was like, no, I don't, I don't know. Him. And so he played a video for me. And then immediately that day I did exactly what you're talking about. I went and put in my Amazon checkout. Uh, it takes what it takes. Yep. Uh, so that got to my house on like Saturday and I started reading it and I'm, and I'm halfway through it already. You know, and, and RIP, I mean, he passed away, I think it was last year, but his big thing is getting back to neutral, which I love, you know, try, if love you can it. try to get back to neutral. Yeah. And that's, it was one of the funny things. Like once we started to talk about those things, I would actually see the characteristics in Rob in the dugout, like just being in, in neutral state um, the whole time, you know, positive thinking, negative thinking, neutral thinking. And I really saw that in his personality a lot, which intrigued me to go and, and get this book and and to read it. Do you have any tips like when you're in the dugout and things start to get a little bit hot or tense? Do you have any routines that you use to try to get back to neutral? No. <laughs> <laughs> breathing I mean, breathing was about the only thing, the breathing techniques that I would teach our guys. That was about the only thing that I'm sure I, I probably came across sometimes because guys could see me like taking deep breaths, but I was trying to get myself back to a good place. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I wish I could sit here and say, man, I, I'm the example of cool headedness in the dugout, but there've been too many clipboards that have suffered and stopwatches that have gone, gone the way of the trash can uh, that my players would, would call me out if they heard me say something like that. Uh, I, I think, I think the older I get, the more 
the more I try to look at it in terms of what do we need to do right now? Yes, that didn't go our way. We can't have it back. So what do we need to to do to to get things rolling again in in our way? And then and then always always creating a vision for your players of of what could happen. So you know you're down for nothing or yeah for nothing, and it's the eighth in, eighth inning, and you haven't hit all day. What's the vision for how you can still win this game? You know, like that's something I try to get to a lot is to all right, how do we still create this idea of we're in this, we are a couple swings away or we're one play away, or, you know, this is how we're going to do that. But selling that vision to them, even in game, I won't say I'm great at it, but I try to think about those things. Um, I will say like, there was a, there was a real peace and a calm uh, in the two Cuba games at the end of the world cup. I, my, my parents texted me, my, my wife and, and even some of my players were noticing, like I was sitting in the dugout with my legs crossed and they're like, who, who is this mass man? Who is this guy? Um, and I think for me, as I get older and hopefully USA is a learning experience for me, I knew that I did everything I could this summer to put our team in position to win a gold medal. And I was really at peace with it. So managing the game just became the only thing that I had to do, but it wasn't this high of we're going to win. Oh no, we might lose. We're going to win. Oh no, we might lose. It's it was we've done everything we can. Now I'm just going to try and help these guys to go out and, and play. Um, so hopefully I can carry some of that over to center next year. What are some final thoughts or something I should have asked you that maybe I didn't? Oh, man. Um, you know, final thoughts for me would just be thankful to you and, and everything the ABCA does to help our profession along from education to to uh, fellowship. Um, I think you guys do an outstanding job and. Um, I'm, I'm proud to say that I'm a member actually re-upped again, um, just so you know, and, uh, yeah, I can't, can't thank you enough for all that in terms of what to ask me, man. I, I don't think I really know a whole lot about anything. I know a little bit about a lot of things, so you did a great job and I, I appreciate the time. Yeah. Thanks for your time coach. Yeah, absolutely. Congrats again to USA baseball on their phenomenal run this summer, sweeping the 12U, 15U and 18U championships. There's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes, so it's always great to see people get rewarded for their hard work. So happy for Coach Breezy and his staff on bringing home a gold medal this summer. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Jim Richardson, Zach Hale, and Matt West in the ABCA office for all the help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter and TikTok, Coach B underscore ABCA, Instagram, RyanBrownlee17, or direct message me via the My ABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you. Set me free.